providing real solutions for real industry challenges. Welcome to FNF Unplugged, the talk of the title industry. Welcome to FNF Unplugged. Today, we have a repeat guest, Rob Weinman with the FNF family of companies as we discuss housing and economic trends. Welcome back, Rob. Thanks, Linda. So what have you seen out there? We're coming out of a great year. What does next year look like? What does the end of this year look like? What do you see as these trends that are happening? Well, like you said, it's been a great year. I mean, we're going to come in somewhere this year. Existing home sales, you know, 6 million. 2020 was a record as well. And so I think we may see some maybe leveling off a little bit. Obviously, you know, we're probably not going to have the refinance volume that that drives into our business. Both Fannie and MBA are looking at those to be down, but maybe we can talk a little bit about that later on. Uh, but it's going to, it's shaping up to be a good year, very similar maybe to like 2019, which 2019 was a record at that time over 2018. So, I mean, it, it's shaping up to be a, a decent year. So when you're looking at these trends or you're trying to anticipate or trying to get a good answer out of that crystal ball, what organizations do you normally look at? Certainly we look at, you know, MBA and NAR and Fannie. They put out, Fannie Mae and and MBA put out projections every month. So we're constantly looking at those and uh, evaluating where they're changing those going into the next year. NAR puts out forecasts as well near the end of the year as to what they're projecting. So we're looking at those overall housing uh, and economic forecasts. Obviously, they've got you know a pretty good read into the, the housing market and the economy in general. And so th- those are probably the primary ones that we're looking at. Now, do you think we should be looking at those three organizations as well? Fannie, Mortgage Bankers Association and the National Association of Realtors? Or is it something that just you economic gurus look at? No, I, I think I think everybody should. I mean, I've been doing it for decades, you know, just trying to get some read on where the market's going to go just for planning purposes. They're going to be different than, than what they're forecasting now. It's just the economy is supremely complicated. You've got a lot of different variables that are going into it. I mean, even the Federal Reserve Board of you know, Governors, they're not agreeing on many of the, the different variables that they're monitoring and tracking, where rates are going to go, where the economy is going to go, whether they should be tapering or not tapering on their quantitative easing, all that. It does give us some idea as to where a consensus is looking at. And I think that you at least have to have to plan to some degree as to what the next year might give you just from a a title, you know, insurance standpoint, a title operation standpoint of staffing levels and having some idea of, okay, if refinances are waning off, well, what's that going to be doing to your staffing level? What might you need to be doing from a sales perspective to be bringing in other business to, to make up for that lost refinance volume? So yeah, I think it's, I think it's really important to be, to be planning. So what do you see as that consensus? You know, they're, they're a bit all over the board. I mean, Fannie's got uh, existing home sales projected to come in next year at 5.6 million, which is a decrease over this year of 5.6%. MBA's got it coming in about 6.4 million, which is a 5.7% increase. And then you got 
you know, now are splitting the difference at 5.9. So uh, it's all over the board here. But I think, you know, we've got low interest rates, relatively speaking, to where we've been before. We've got decent job growth. We've got wage growth. You know, time will tell as the Fed stops their quantitative easing uh, purchases. They're now uh, going to be slowly pulling back what they're buying in the treasury securities market and the mortgage-backed security market. They were buying about 120 uh, billion uh, per month in that market, starting with the pandemic. Uh, and they're pulling back about 15 billion a month, hoping to end that purchasing in the market by uh, mid 2022. And that, you know, that's been keeping interest rates low. So argument, at least on one side, is that okay, as you pull back on that interest rates might start to increase. But then you have a whole other side of economists that say, well, you know, it's not it's not going to increase because every single time we've we've done that, our growth has started to slow down and the Fed is back at it again. It's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. We're in uncharted waters uh, relative to the QE, relative to how much debt we have and the impact that that will have on future interest rates and the growth of our economy. And like I said, you've got two sides. One side is saying, oh, it's going to be inflationary and growth will you know, continue. And another side that's saying that that debt is an overhang and that it will continue to lead into a deflationary or disinflationary environment. And so I, I don't know where it's going to go. It's going to be interesting to see, though. Now, Rob, you mentioned how you've been tracking Fannie and MBA and NAR for a very long time. Have you seen where maybe one organization is more conservative on their trending or on their, quote, predictions? Or do you see another one that maybe kind of looks at things through rose-colored glasses every year? No, I mean, they're both they're both pretty accurate. I would say Fannie tends to be, I don't know, in my opinion, I don't know if they are. They seem to be a little bit more uh, conservative than, than MBA, but, you know, not, not wildly different. And just like they're, they're playing out next year, you know, Fannie's got, as I said, the existing home sales going down next year, MBA's going up. So, you know, one of those is going to be right. One's going to be wrong. So this should be interesting to see how it plays out. But then also, you know, you've got Fannie projecting the 30 year mortgage rate to hover in that the range we're in now really about 3.3 and you've got MBA showing that, it's going to go up to four. So they're, they're kind of in different camps as to the impact on interest rates, um, perhaps by the, the QE tapering that they call it, but you know, we're going to, we'll find out this next year. It should be interesting to look back on these and, and see really where we are. The interesting thing too, is, you know, as I've talked to you about, you know, the big part of our economy is the consumer, right? And that makes up 70% of our GDP. And that's been, they've been, they've still been buying. I mean, in October, it was up 16% year over year, the biggest surge in like 31 years. But then interestingly, the University of Michigan Consumer Confidence Survey is at its lowest point in 10 years, 66.8%. So the consumer, what they're saying their sentiment is at and what they're willing to buy is, is very low. Yet what they're really doing in in the market is buying. So that's just a conundrum. I mean, it's just it's 
something's got to give between those two. And I don't know, maybe some of the consumers are pulling in purchases because of the supply chain disruptions. But, you know, if that consumer starts to roll over and stop buying, well, that economy is going to start slowing down again. And now we've got, you know, the same same issue we're at kind of in that 2017 time period where QE was tapering and interest rates were, were at least the Fed was trying to increase them and the economy slowed right back down and then they had to go back at it again. So it's it's kind of like this this weird cycle. I agree that supply chain disruption has a lot to do with it. And as a matter of fact, uh, just recently at the National Association of Realtors Convention, which they just came back from, their chief economist, Lawrence Yoon, was actually questioned about that. Will there be a time where not only inventory with regards to real estate, but the supply chain issues has an effect on their purchasing power? Like, if they can't buy refrigerators and stoves, are they really going to go into a new house that needs a new kitchen? And the one point he made, which I thought was really good, and to your point too, Rob, will the buyers stop buying? But what several people have said, there is so much pent up demand to spend, no matter what it's on, that buyers are not going to stop buying. They're just going to buy different things. So what's going to be out there for them to buy? True. And it's and it's interesting, the difference between retail sales and, and housing, because you're talking about one very big ticket item uh, driven by something. And, and then retail sales is obviously typically a lot smaller unless you're talking about cars. But much of those stimulus dollars that the government put out there, you know, what was it? Something like $4 trillion from the start of the pandemic. Well, that gave a lot of uh, money to consumers to go out there and, and purchase. Housing, you know, is is driven more by jobs, good jobs, good wages, things like that. And that, that's that been doing pretty well here for this year. We've seen wage growth. We've seen job growth. But will that start to slow if the economy slows? But you're right. And then on the housing start side, there's just been, there's there's low inventory. That's a problem. It's all supply and demand. Well, if you've only got inventory at a 2.4 month supply of homes, and it's been like that for a long time, uh, when a normal healthy supply has been historically six months, and we've not been at that for years, starts are low, you know, 1.5 million, I think was the starts for, for last month. And that's just too low for housing formation levels that we're at. So, which is why, you know, we've seen historic price appreciation going on in the market. The question will be is, you know, does that ever start to pull back? If we get some starts, maybe some of that supply chain disruption going away, maybe we'll get some more starts there, we'll, which will bring some more supply into the market. But, you know, they're just not seeing a lot of people moving or putting their homes up for sale, uh, existing homes. So, uh, you know, until we see some of that demand fall off and the market stabilize, I think we'll still see some price appreciation next year, too. Now, there's been a lot of buzz about forbearances. Do you really see any big shift or changes as it relates to forbearances? You know, not really. I mean, we're not talking about a huge number. I mean, it's down to what, 2% of loans. One million homeowners are in forbearance right now. And the peak was somewhere around four and a half millions. But we're just seeing, again, that kind of relates back to jobs. 
there's been good job prospects, good wage growth, um, but also home appreciation, right? So people can refinance some of those homes as their homes appreciate. So that's been helping that that forbearance issue as well. So I, I don't really think it's impactful right now, but that's just my opinion on the matter. Now, again, you talked about uncharted waters and uncertainty, but with all that in mind on an economic standpoint or a business standpoint, what should we be thinking about now in order to prepare for the unknown and the knowns in 2022? Oh, wow. That's, that's a loaded question. You know, again, I don't think anyone could have ever forecast what happened in, in 2020, nor what happened after the pandemic. I think all we can do is try to plan in our businesses to the best degree that we can, looking at, you know, I guess what numbers are, are coming out of the uh, the experts, you know, uh, from Fannie and, and MBA and NAR and, and plan accordingly within our own operations and our agents' operations as to what type of staffing they're expecting, what type of sales they're expecting. You know, the market's going to give you whatever it gives you, right? So then it's all about, can you get more than your fair share from a market share perspective and adjust your expenses in line with uh, with the revenue that you have coming in the door? That's kind of what I've always focused on, at least in, in my history, in my career. Now, we have a lot of small businesses in the financial services area, you know, small to mid-sized title organizations, small to mid-sized real estate offices, small to mid-sized attorney offices, and even, Mm -hmm. you know, small lending institutions. Now, a lot of them don't do budgets. How do you plan if you've never even created a budget before for your company? I think it's critical to to create a budget. I mean, it's, it's something I've done in every type of business that I've been in from large to small family business. And I I just think it's, it's one, it's, it gets you thinking about strategy, right. And your market and what you're expecting and, and what you're trying to do relative to your competitors. So it kind of all wraps in together. Yes. the, The budget is centered around numbers, but Really, there's a strategy behind that based on what you think that your market's going to give you and what you need to do to react to that from your own business's perspective, either small or, or, or big. I mean, even in a big company, really, when you parse it down, we're little small businesses um, in each of our, our units. And that just requires planning and executing against uh, the competitors in, in your field. So I think it's, I think it's critical. Yeah, that's a really great point because I think a lot of people, consumers alike and business people think that if you're in a larger organization, you have one budget, but you're 100% right. There's a lot of mini budgets that go into play. So even if you're a medium-sized company with, you know, five branch operations, you may have six different budgets, one for the whole and five for each branch operation. Well, and the same thing goes for if you're a sales rep or a department supervisor, whatever it may be. I mean, you, you need to know what what you're trying to do in your market, in your job position for the next year, whether it's increasing the revenue from your accounts as a sales rep, whether it's increasing efficiencies, if you're a department supervisor, whatever, and setting your own you know, personal goals as they relate to that. I don't know. To me, it's just but I've always been 
a planner. I'm, I'm the son of an engineer, you know, who uh, woke up every morning and made his task list in the morning and then reviewed it at night. So that's kind of where I come from. Well, and you kind of need to know the customer better than they know themselves a lot of the times, don't they? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, that that gets into kind of, well, our selling methodology, at least within FNF, is, is that really kind of understanding our customer's business as well, if not better than them and anticipating the things that are going to be impacting them or what they need to be considering in, in their businesses. And we like to try to develop ourselves as experts in, in that field. Ours is the title insurance operation, escrow operations. And so that's where we really try to be impactful to our agents within that. And uh, yeah, I think it's critical. Now, Rob, a lot of our listeners may want to get out their own crystal balls now that we're talking about trends and uncertainty and budgeting. Uh, I'm going to give a a short list of resources to kind of look at to supplement Fannie, MBA, and NAR that, that you said to follow. And after that, I want you to give any of your other resource tips and tricks as well. But other than Fannie, MBA, NAR, and I'm going to specifically stay in the real estate sector for obvious reasons, but I kind of look at home builder trends, like what's LGI Homes doing? What is Lennar doing? What is Pulte doing? What is Toll Brothers doing? I get a, a really good pulse on new construction and housing starts by following them. And then I also try to follow other industry leaders, you know, the retail side, like you talked about, Eagle Materials, Home Depot, Lowe's. NAR has amazing resources that you can access without having a login. You don't have to be a realtor to access all of their research and data. You can follow NAR Research on Twitter and get a lot of great information with regards to uh, all the money that they put into R&D on their end. NAR.realtor.com forward slash research and stats, again, Another great resource to get all sorts of information with regards to medium price range, what the housing starts are month to month, and you could even, you know, drill down geographically. Realtor.com has great information with regards to research and housing and and what the market trends are on a quarterly basis. They're never going to get out the crystal ball for the full year. But those are my main ones. Other than Fannie, MBA, and NAR, I know that you have a few other tricks up your sleeve. Well, sure. You know, and just with regard to the NAR sites, I mean, I, I always tend to go very local as well. I'm either drilling down to the state Real Estate Association, a lot of times they have data as to what they're seeing and tracking as far as housing sales and, and starts and things of that nature. But then you can sometimes get down even into the county level with different county real estate realtor associations. So those are a couple of good sites as well. And then with regard to your kind of national type of companies, it's always interesting to read the earnings transcripts from those. You can go to Seeking Alpha. It's, you know saves you a lot of time than having to listen to the whole thing. And, and you can just get the transcript and look those over as to get some idea of where the real estate market's going. But some of my other sites that I really like are the FRED, the St. Louis Federal Reserve's economic data site, which is free, has just awesome ability to to create your own charts. It has just about every economic data point out there. I like the Mortgage News Daily website and information. 
Trading Economics is another website that's great. I tend to look into Calculated Risk Blog, which is Bill McBride's real estate-related economic site. You were on here last year. What were some surprises that come to mind from what you were thinking about last year to what you're thinking about this year? I think that last year, I thought it was going to be a good year, but I don't think anyone saw the interest rates continuing to to stay so low. I mean, we've been predicting higher mortgage rates for a while now, and they just, they seem to take off for a little bit and then they they come right back down. Um, I tend to follow a couple economists that I that I think might have some reasons for that. So I don't know. I'm kind of in the camp that I think interest rates uh, and mortgage rates are going to stay lower. They might blip up for a little bit, but I think the trend has been for those to uh, not only the 10-year bond, but then obviously the the uh, mortgages, which are based off of that, to stay low. And I think it, it comes back to our debt and, and uh, what happens every single time we try to take stimulus dollars off, that economy just seems to slow right back down. And then we go back into the same cycle of reducing rates again and and, uh, and our quantitative easing or putting more stimulus dollars out there to juice the economy and then it slows down again. So uh, each time we think that we're going to be able to get in a position to raise those rates or have higher rates, it just doesn't doesn't come out. So I guess that's kind of where I'm, I thought that they were going to stay low and, and they, they did stay low. So we'll see where it, see if it happens again in 2022. But uh, either way, it's going to be interesting. I know that all I'm putting on Santa's list this year for me is greater housing inventory. It's all I'm <laughs> Is that personal or is that just uh, in general for our business? <laughs> uh, it's both, Rob, because both about <laughs> <have> the business. <laughs> I think I'm in the same camp. <laughs> Thank you for coming on FNF Unplugged, and we hope you come back soon. Thanks. If you have questions, comments, or would like us to feature a specific topic, email fnfeducation at fnf.com. Thanks for downloading FNF Unplugged, a presentation of the FNF family of companies. All rights reserved. This podcast is being provided for informational purposes only. The podcast is not a comprehensive overview of the subject and is not intended to provide legal or financial advice or an endorsement of any product or business. The views expressed by podcast guests are their own, and their appearance on the podcast does not imply any endorsement of them or any entity they represent, including Fidelity National Financial or its directors. Please seek legal or financial advice before taking any action on the matters or products discussed herein.